Welcome to episode four of Better With Paul. Now, I had promised you a rant. <laughs> and I tell you, I was just about to, you know, sit in my, I was just about to say podcast studio, but I would be lying, <laughs> sit in my bedroom uh, where I film some of these in London. But I was going to sit here and record my rant, but I got a message stating that an interview that I've been trying to book for the last several months came through. And it was the assistant for a gentleman by the name of Nana Kwame Bediako, known to many as either Cheta or Freedom Jacob Caesar. Now, as soon as I got this message saying that Freedom was available, I made sure to jump on it because, as I said, I've been trying to talk to him for several months. This was one of the most incredible conversations I have had in my life. I'm not even just talking about on an interview. I'm just talking about my life. A matter of fact, I think I only asked about five questions in about an hour's time. I really just sat and listened. If you want to be completely blown away by the mind of an entrepreneur and learned about how this gentleman built a nearly billion dollar business, literally, it's almost a billion dollars He's in his early 40s and how he was able to do that in just 16 years. And then prior to that, he was able to make and save over a million pounds at university. And then before that, how he was able to build a chicken business at the age of eight where he had nearly 300 chickens, you know, a chicken farm. I mean, if you just want to get blown away, inspired, but also learn how in particular, we as black people should be investing in Ghana, in West Africa, and in Africa. This is your session. Now, before you listen, I want to make sure you hit pause and go to paulcbrunson.com backslash better, B-E-T-T-E-E-R. Join the newsletter so you can get my insights on all of the episodes, including this one. But let's just make it happen. Let's get right to it. The following is the incredible story of Nana Kwame Bediako, also known as Cheta, also known as Freedom Jacob Caesar, the Prince of Africa. Yeah. Oh, Hello, Paul. Hello, Nana. How Good to you? see you. Likewise. Can I say something? You're doing exactly what I thought you would be doing. Tell me. All right. So I've had the privilege of interviewing some of the top entrepreneurs from around the world. Oprah Winfrey in the United States, you know, Michael Lee Chin, billionaire out of Jamaica, Enver Ugel, billionaire out of Turkey. And despite the enormity of the decisions that you entrepreneurs, you know, are running massive companies have to make, you all still smile all the time. <laughs> it's, uh, it's the best practice. Yeah, yeah. I see this. You do this all the time. This is good. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. You have a great smile yourself. All right. Uh, blessings. Blessings. Can I say this too, even, even right before we get going, is that, um, you know, my wife and I and my two sons, we, uh, we live in London now. Okay. But we had never been to Ghana, and about three months ago, 
uh, no, five months ago, we booked one month in Ghana. Wow. And we booked that full month at your at your residence. What are your residences? Quales. Quales, yes, yes. And unfortunately, my grandmother passed away. And so we, we, we couldn't go. And then we came back and then we were locked down because of COVID. But the treatment was first class because we had we booked for one month and then we had to withdraw. And normally there would be all kinds of issues. The customer service was incredible. Incredible. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. By the way, yeah. I told you, you look like Tyson Beckford. You get that a lot? <laughs> so, sometimes. I appreciate that. Sometimes I get that. <laughs> uh, first time, like, as soon as I saw you, I was like, wow. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I realized your face is smaller. Like, you're a cuter version of him, though. So. Uh, thank you. Right, keep going. Keep going. Keep going. <laughs> but but I, I tell you what, I really look forward to this because the whole idea with my column and also with the podcast is to unpack brilliant minds. And I've been following your work for quite some time. And I really want to dig into your business. I want to dig into your mindset. And I want to dig into your, your vision for Ghana. So can we start with just what does your entire business portfolio look like in Ghana and, and outside of Ghana? Well, we have a lot more investment in Ghana than anywhere else in the world. And everywhere else in the world where we have any portfolio, it's just the beginning for us. And that's because we want to introduce our concept and our maybe structure of how we build wealth, which is what I'm about. I'm not about the type that builds businesses. I build wealth. And it's a lot of mentality, spirituality, and social inheritance. I, I, I feel like, you know, what I learned growing up doing businesses, the, the business are people that just kind of sort of interact with your establishment or patronize any of your buildings or whatever business that you have. So those people make you go around. But you are the mastermind behind it. You are the one that has to find a way to build a reputation, to build a brand, to build all those things around. And out of it is where you squeeze the wealth. You know, right, you squeeze right. the wealth out of that in a spiritual form, in a mental form, and in a reformative form, you know, which I think it could be a very new way of teaching the younger generation of today how to build wealth. Yes, yes. Now, here's what I find to be, I think, most fascinating about you compared to some of the other entrepreneurs that I've talked to. So a lot of the entrepreneurs that I've talked to didn't start a business venture until they were maybe in their late teens or in their 20s or in their 30s. I believe you started at like seven or eight, didn't you? Yeah. With, with chickens? Yes, yes. I mean, and, <laughs> you know, everyone kind of laughs at it. Like, you know, how is that possible? Like, you know, who makes money out of chickens? You know, <laughs> right? I want to know. No, well, well, basically, even at that age, for me, I didn't see it as business. I only understood it better when I grew up and I had to look back. 
that these are the things that I've been interested in. I'm someone that likes to start something that looks impossible and make it become possible. I'm that same person that like people to doubt me and think that I can't do it. That's how I get my strength. I get my strength okay. from my enemies. I get my strength from awareness. I get my strength from the impossibilities. You know, that's like I use strength a lot. You know, what, what is making me do what I can't do? What is forcing yes. me to push me to do what I can't do? Because either it's either this or you just imagine stuff and dream to do it. And sometimes right. you end up not doing it. But, but what was it, I mean, about the chickens? Because and, and tell us about that story, because you were young. I mean, how old were you, seven? I was eight years old. I remember very well when my father came there. And, you know, I, when I was growing up, I was growing up with my mother. So my father was never there. But I knew my father was extremely rich. And I didn't understand why my mother was penniless broke. You know, because I, I was young. It, it, it didn't make sense to me. I was like, okay, but why are we not? Why can't we get what we want, you know? And I didn't really understand poverty until one day I came back from school and my mother was sitting by an altar crying, but the altar was burnt. And I asked her why is she crying? Because I didn't see any fire marks on her or anything. So I wanted to know. And this is what she told me. She said that all the money that she ever saved in this world was behind a clock. The clock was new in the box and behind it was the money. She had hid the money there. So when the candle fell on the altar and the altar was burning, it burned the clock together with it and the money burned. So I realized that money was an essential factor in my mother's life. Mm. You know, but I didn't really have that much value for it. But I realized from then that, you know, we needed money to survive, you know. You know, so it was like the next day or two days after when my father visited out of the blue, out of the, you know, she, uh, he appeared and um, there was this beautiful woman sitting in front of a Mercedes, you know, a white Mercedes. And, you know, I was proud to see my father, you know, like every, the area kid who know my father is rich and, you know, it at least makes me feel good. But, yes. you know, my father decided to give me and my brother money when he was leaving. And so he gave me 400 cities and he gave my brother 200 cities. But my brother was older than me. So I quickly returned the money my father gave me back to him, you know, and then he asked me, well, what's wrong? And I said, oh, uh, he can give that to my older brother and I'll keep the 200. I think that's fair. Wow. So just to let people understand that it was not just chickens. It all started from the mentality that I was growing with. You know, the mind of being fair sometimes can lead you to a better path. And that path mm. will lead you to your destiny just because you don't want to be something that you think you're not or, you know, something that it's not fair with you, or if it was done to you, you wouldn't appreciate it. So that's what actually sparked this whole chicken interest. The fact that I rejected the money, then my father now added 200 cities more to the money, so we were even. So now my brother had 400, and I had 400, and I 
you know, I said, okay, that's fair. So when my father left, I said, why don't we add the money together, me and my brother? And so we can give it to my mother. But I did that because the day before I saw her crying because she didn't have any right. more money. And my brother said, yes, uh, yes, we should do that. But I didn't see him again. <laughs> when I saw him, he was eating bread and fried egg. Oh, wow. He spent his money on the bread and the bread fried, and egg. fried egg. But at that time, because of the life we lived, it was something luxurious for us. If, if he was eating bread with fried eggs. And so when I saw that, I was disappointed. I was angry. I felt betrayed. Mm. And all of that in one sort of feeling, one mixture of feeling. And then I couldn't beat him up. But just when I was thinking if I could beat him up, I would beat him up. Something kind of turned my, you know, quenched my anger and turned it, my hunger and, you know, switched it around. Something kind of reminded me, like, wait, how do people get eggs? Because I just remembered in kindergarten, they were saying, you need a hand and a cock so you can get eggs. So I said, you know what? Fine. This money is not enough to give my mother anymore because he spent his part. But I want to get my own eggs. So that it was just that mere thought that started it. It wasn't like I was some kind of business person growing up and I wanted to go and buy a chicken. And uh, No, it's just that. So I was going to the market constantly trying to buy a cock and a hen. So I can get out. Okay. And every time okay. I went there, they sacked me because I was so little. That yeah, you're too young. Yes, to take me. So he combined me these two things. And when we got there, my mom added 100 cities. Okay. And when we came back to the house, I plugged all the maize. I live in a farmhouse, okay? So we had plantain from the same house, the land that I lived on, cassava, mangoes, maize. My mom had to plant that on the farmland, in the same house I lived. And that's how poor we were. We had to leave from the things that came out from the ground in the house. So I plucked all the maize, you know, uh, and that's how I was feeding the two animals every day and praying for an egg, praying for an egg until I saw my first egg. Then I saw the second one. Then I asked my mom. Wow. But now, can I ask you a question? How did you feel when you saw that egg? Well, that must have been a. Well, that wasn't as thrill as what I'm about to tell you. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so for me, the eggs were lying on the floor, so I knew they were going to break. You know, but I was looking for the egg. I got the egg, and it was just lying on the floor. So I got my mom to get a local carpenter to put a cage together. And when the guy was putting the cage, I was sitting by him, and he's the one that told me that. I will need to wait for 23 days and this egg can become a chicken. Ah, now I see it. Yeah. Now I see it. So, yes. so that's where the whole drill started from. Like, okay, then I have to wait. And then the, chick the eggs became 7, 9, 11. And every day I woke up, I prayed about it. But I didn't see any chickens after 23 days. It took over 30 days, and one day I came back from school, and every day I had to go and check it. I came back from school, and all the eggs were open. I thought my brother, because my brother was very 
evil in the head sometimes. So I thought he had opened the eggs up or destroyed it, you know. But then I heard a sound, like a squeaky sound. And when I turned around, there were all the living chickens following the hen. That was like a beautiful thrill. I mean, I know I've done other businesses in my life, but that one, I felt so good. Like, you know, when you have two animals and they become 13. Yeah. Yeah. In, in less than two and a half months. So, you know, this is how I started to feed them every day. And I have a, I had a simple anthem that I used to go and they all run and come and I'll throw it in the floor. So every day I did it in the morning, I did it in the evening, and I did it and I did it. And then in about six months in the house, I had over 270 chickens. Oh my good over 200 chickens. Yes. And some used to, like I, they used to go out. I never follow them. They go out in the night. They all come back, but every time they come, they come with a new one. Maybe <laughs> and it doesn't go back again. They, well, so then, were you then selling the eggs and selling chickens? Or? I didn't know much about, you know, making money, but you know, I realized that my mom was making something out of it. Wow, See, that is incredible. I've actually never heard. I've heard you tell the chicken story before but I've never heard you give that level of detail behind the chicken story. Yeah, because, you know, sometimes, you know, um, like especially in, in interviews, you can't have this lengthy explanation to break down details. But, I, you know, I had time yeah. to explain it better in my storybook, you know. And it's like once I was telling people how I made my first million, I was out of selling scraps and they were laughing about it. You know, yeah. they looked at scraps as, you know, who sells scraps and make a million. It's, it's a junkie's job. But that's how I got into steel. There were scraps, you know. And, and, and with that story, too, you were also, at that time, you weren't even Ghana. You were in the U.K. Yeah. at that yeah. time, right? Yeah. So you were, what, in the U.K.? This is in college. Yeah. And your car, what, what was it? Someone was, uh, what, were you illegally parked? They climbed, <laughs> what, what it was? they climbed my car in the college, okay? And... The first time I paid for it. The second time I was angry, so I deflated the tire and pushed the car because the air was the only thing holding the car. Oh, okay, I see. So when I took the air out of the tire, I pushed the car out of the clamp. But anybody who leave the clamp there, me, I took the clamp because I wanted them to see that if you clamp me again, you're gonna lose your clamp. <laughs> <laughs> And, okay. and my best friend at that time was a white guy called Peter Smith. And funny enough, he was a locksmith. <laughs> Peter Smith, the locksmith. Yeah. <laughs> wow. And so that was a guy, you know, I used to go to after college. To be honest with you, Paul, some of the words that he said, I didn't even understand as a friend. You know, he was like a cockney white guy. That's yes. my friend. And... Um, I just prefer going to him sometimes because the other people that I knew, I thought, I thought they didn't know me, you know, and this is what I believe friendship is. It's not about people around you. It's people that you can rely on sometimes, you know, and so that's what a guy was. And I told him, I wanted to share with him what happened that day. You know, I just wanted to confess to somebody. (laughs) So when I told him, and he was like, where's the clamp, mate? I said, it's in my car. 
said, come, 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 let's go see it. So I took him and I opened the boot and he saw the clamp and he lifted the clamp and went like this. And then he dropped me in again and said, I'll give you 65 quid, mate. So when I- Oh, for the, yeah, for the clamp. Yeah, so when, I, when he said that, I looked at him and I smiled. I was like, you know, I thought that was really a joke because when someone clamps, when they're, the municipal have to clamp your car, it's 40 pounds to pay for them to release it. So this guy is telling me, I'll give you 65 quid. I, I didn't understand, like, for real? Uh, what, what do you mean you're giving me 65 quid for? Then he said, no, 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 you, you give me the clamp, I'll pay you 65 pounds now. Then I said, what are you going to do with the clamp? He said, don't worry about it, mate. You, you want it? I give the money, I take the clamp. And then I asked him, so if, if I get it for you every time, would you buy it? <laughs> every time. Wow. Yeah. So, wow. so he had me hustling, you know, with other white boys taking clamps from cars yeah. for, for yeah. a couple of weeks before he said to me one time that, you know, it's too much and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that buy the steel. So when they introduced me to the scrapyard, and that's when they explained to me that I need to put pieces of metals together and then they will melt it and form it to a steel and then sell it. So based on that, they can weigh the weight of the metal. And so I said, well, why do you have to go around stealing clamps? <laughs> you know, I could just go and buy scraps and take them all over the place and everything. But at that time, I had uh, three vans with three white guys who used to go out there every day looking for clamps for me. This is, this is incredible. So how old are you at this time? I was running this scrap. Yeah, I was 17. I started the scrap business at 17. So scrap business 17, you have multiple vans. You have guys working with you. Yeah, and then I got into telecommunications when I was 18. So that's what really made me move fast. I, I understood the corporate world faster because a company called ACN, which I think you can Google it now, is called American Communication Network. There's a guy called Sam okay. Orin who became my... And just to jump in there real quick is uh, the scrap business, though, you had already made a million pounds. No, I didn't. Just, just scrap. No, I didn't make a million pounds straight from selling the scrap. It became like okay. a new business. So, you know, every other day I would have $12,000 pounds check, 8,000 pounds, 15,000 okay. pounds, depending what I invest to buy scraps and then bulk it together and then sell it to the steel yard. Okay. But okay. when I got introduced into the telecommunications, there was a structure that I had to create like a pyramid that people yeah. transfer their calls from the local lines from BT to ACN. And every time they did that, I was getting some kind of commission. So my numbers uh, started growing faster, you know? Yes. And then the people who were my delivery drivers as well had grown that even now I had like people that rent vans for me to move people from their houses. So my business was just growing all over the place, you know? And I was just- so, this is incredible. Okay, so, so, and you were how old at this time? Oh, in my 18s, I was collecting money from everyone, you know? So but, you're 18. I've been, I think I'm, I'm very good at, you know, I'm very good at building um, empire. That's, that's, yes. that's what I think. That's why I started this, this by telling you that I don't build businesses. I build wealth. This is exactly it. Yeah. Because at 18, not only are you, creating wealth for yourself but all of those people who are working for you 
are generating wealth at yeah. this at this time. Yes, and everybody was, you know, comfortable with what they get from you know. It's like everybody kind of ran their own department. <laughs> you know, yeah, it wasn't. I wasn't the boss. <laughs> this is good. This is uh, good. So, so then, did you? So I understand that you then dropped out of school, though. You dropped out of yeah, university. I was, I, I, yes, I was, and I was also doing a boot sale in college. So there were clothes that people bought shirts from me, YSL, and Versace pants, and I was getting it from a Jamaican who was also getting it from China. It was fake. <laughs> I was just. You know, I mean, this is the definition of a true hustler. Now, I didn't want to go robbing anybody, stealing from anybody. I just understood trading, you know, have monetary exchange. Like, what is the deal? Okay, I will do this. You do this for me. Okay, this is yours. This is mine. Okay, let me put it here. Let me keep it there. Yeah. You know, there is all the same transactions and going into an account. And, you know, so this is what I've been good at. I've been good at putting things together, following it, you know, making sure it's intact. So then around these times, I started looking back when I was younger. I realized that it's something that is being in me. It's not like, you know, I'm just growing up to be some smart person. Like I have the gift, a great sense of humor with great wisdom, knowledge, understanding, all sort of packed together. People end up following my lead. They don't just follow me. They're not just following me. They follow my lead. You know, when okay. I say this, they go with this because they have. Yes. To. Now let, let let's unpack that just a little bit, though. What do you think it is, especially at that age, about you that makes people want to follow your lead? Because also, what we have to underscore, especially to people who are just listening, is don't forget, Nana is a black man. Okay, he's in the UK. And it sounds like you have a lot of white guys who are following you. So there's the ethnicity, the nation nationality component. What was it about you that made them want to listen to you and, and follow your lead? I think it's um relationship management. You know, I, I feel like we were created to be managers, to manage everything around us. You know, you can manage your chickens. You can manage the carpenter who is building the cage for your chickens. You can manage your mother, you can manage your brother, you can manage your friends. And if you're very good at managing all of them, because there's sometimes you're going to kind of make some mistakes, you're going to make some mistakes. And it takes a lot for people to go back and say, I'm sorry for what I said or for what I did. But going forward, I probably want us to do things this way. You see, right. it's so difficult for people to say, but after you say it, you also realize that it costs you 0%. It doesn't cost you anything. That's true. Exactly. That's true. So I have never had that sort of pride, that ego to be down to earth. You know, I have never seen myself better than anyone. I feel like everybody is beautiful in their own way. You know, I feel like people who are not smart are just people who haven't activated a certain part of their mind. You know, I feel like People who are wise are people who have realized what it takes to be stupid so they don't repeat stupidity. You know, so I started to really learn from human beings. Then after that, I started to learn from nature what we came to mm. eat. 
So even though when I was on the streets and in college and doing all this and trying to say, like I was looking at numbers and letters as a serious code that is embedded in our lifestyle, the way we have to live to figure out things. You know, it's like a puzzle. How do you become yeah. a winner? How do you, today, your friends in this particular sector of the world, how can you calculate to see that in two, three years, you might not be with them, they might not see you again, they might just read about you, you know? But how do you manage them in that three years that you're with them to be able to get the best out of them and for them to also get the best out of you if they could? But if they don't... Sure, in a very fair way. Because it seems like that's also very important to you is equality is very important to you. It is. It's been, you know, I'm a universal thinker. You know, like today my movement and a lot of people are not going to like the fact that I go straight to put a black man in his place instead of to say that I'm standing behind a black man. No, I'll stand beside a black man, but I won't stand behind him. If what he's doing is not right, I'm not going to stand behind him just because I'm black and he's black, you know? And if I was white, I would do the same. You know, right? right. So like, you know, and that is that is what I meant by my brother not doing what he promised me to do with the money. And it kind of moved me to have my own business, you know, to build my own little chicken empire. You know, just yeah, absolutely. Other things that really move it moves me. You know, when it, yeah, when people are not hundred percent straight, you know, I'm I'm like, okay, fine. It's just the moment of time. I'm not gonna be here forever for you to do that to me. But then I keep focused, like where I'm going and where I want to be. And I think this relationship management and nature, respect for nature and respect for the spiritual being ahead of, you know, above all of us. As You know, I believe that there is God as the creator for us. You know, it's really yeah. kind of put me in a different realm. Like I stand with my own crown as a prince of the entire continent, Africa. I repeat it again, the prince of Africa. So I'm like- yeah, I, Which we, we need to get into. But, yeah. but let me, can I just point this out though? Because that's a big statement, by the way. That's a big statement. Is that, have you ever read or heard the book called Willpower? No. Willpower. No. So what, you know what's interesting is, so in this book, he talks about how people in the world who have the strongest willpower are those who have a higher power, who see a higher power above them. And I've noticed that there are a lot of entrepreneurs who see themselves as the highest power, but you make no mistake that you are below God. You, you, yeah, yeah I, I mean, you. Because yeah. I don't think my wealth has just come from me as a person. I believe that there's some inequalities that we have that, you know, from birth, we have trained it, we have invested in it, we have inherited it, we have actually adapted from other people to expand it, you know, and all these are living things, living creatures, things that are, cannot be replicated by ourselves. We can't create ourselves again. We can't create any flower. We can't do anything, you know, we're just living it, you know, and so I respect that omnipotent power about me, that it's my first thing. And I, I have been listening to this voice since I was maybe eight years old. And it's never left me, you know, and it's always been positive. And I've always turned the impossible to possible, you know. But 
it kind of it drives me you know it, it yeah. me and it's made me realize that you need to also be on the righteous path sometimes or most times in life to be able to see the lights yes now let's go to back to 21 before you really i think emerged as the prince of africa okay so at 21 you're still in the uk yeah you then leave university but you're running a telecommunications business. You have uh, a van business, a uh, scrap metal business, selling clothes, Versace's, <laughs> right? Fake Versace. So, so then how do you go from there back to Ghana? And why, and why Ghana if you're succeeding so well in the West? And I, and I want to underscore this because so many, you know, I have so many friends from Ghana, so many friends from West Africa in particular, and they all tell me that their parents always told them, leave, go to the West, go to the UK, go to the United States and build your business there. Yeah. So why'd you go back? Well, you know, there was a time that, you know, uh, in my life that I, I always asked myself what and where I wanted to be, you know, because I never, I never saw myself belonging to where I dwell. But I was there for some kind of circumstances beyond control. I don't know why. You know, I would see my friends and I knew we were friends. I love them and everything. But my vision, my ambition was two different things. They wanted to get a job. They wanted to do things that I was not interested in. You know, I, I couldn't see anybody employing me. That's why I walked out of university when I heard the woman say in lectures, that we are here to get the best of degree so we can get a good job. And I said, wow. So the guy that was sitting beside me that I wasn't jealous of, but that's who I wanted to be because he used to drive a Ferrari and a Porsche that belongs to his father to the university. And that's what I thought, hmm, this is my dream, you know? But yes. so I said, I'm sitting in the same lecture hall with this guy listening to this woman who is already driving my dream cars but it's not for him right and me how am i going to get a job to buy these cars when i already have businesses so i got mm. left but when i left when i walked out there was something that told me if you don't make it in life it's because of this decision that you took and i quickly believe sorry you're, you were saying to yourself, if you don't make it in life, it's because of your decision to leave. The, 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 wow. Yes. Cool. And then I responded to the same voice that, yes, I know. But because of this, I'm going to make sure I make it. <laughs> so, there you go. So for me, it's been like, and that's why I told you that I build wealth out of awareness. Awareness. Mm -hmm. The sanity of you knowing that you will trip. <laughs> If you slip. Yes. Yes. That's yes. These are the things I want to teach the youngest people of today because I have lived it and I have realized that the fact that you take certain decisions in life that a million people see it as a negative decision that will affect your life, it doesn't mean that that's the end of your life. It means that you can thrive on that to escalate. Yes. So then, why the decision to go? to Ghana. That's the only, because I'm thinking if I'm 21, I'm in the UK, I have like over a million pounds, I'm running a business. I think a lot, most people actually would stay. Okay. They would stay. So for me, I saved a million pounds because some orange showed me a million dollar note 
and it was printed on a dollar that is slightly longer than a hundred dollars. And he told me it had six zeros on it. And he said that this is like a bond, something, something that, you know, I keep six of this with me and everywhere I go in the world, I can decide to buy a stock or buy anything and declare it with these numbers. So I looked at the guy standing there with six million in his wallet and I said, God damn it, I have to make one of this. <laughs> He's the one that this one. you know. And he was my friend. He was a rich guy. You know, one day, you know, I was looking at him, he was wearing a Rolex, he had EXO in it, and then he, he was wearing a cufflink, it was ESO, and his shoe was like halfway down, like you know, the heel was gone. But he had ESO. Yes. So I asked him, Hey, Sam, what is ESO? Then he just looked at me and laughed. He said, Sam Oren. <laughs> so <laughs> I realized that this guy, even though his shoe was halfway, it was customized for him. Everything was Sam Oren. S-O. Yeah. And he inspired yes. me. He made me realize that riches are dreamt of. Wealth is invincible. Mm. You know? mm. I'm liking it. I'm liking it. Yeah. So, so now I can see how he inspired you because he showed you those bonds. So then did you have a million saved up? Yes, you I had a million saved up. But when I had the million okay. saved up, one day something came up because I, I learned telephone banking from the same bank I was saving, you know, by going and asking them questions from one to 10 to find out about banking. And then there was a girl. I had just had a son. I was, you know, in college and I just had a son. Sorry, university, I just had a son with this beautiful lady. And I used to go to the bank with the kid. But this white lady just liked me, you know, we were like friends. So one day she called me and said, hey, do you know about this law, this, that, that, that? I said, no, I don't understand. What does it mean? Because all I did was kept putting checks and this into that account and building it up. Yeah. And he said, well, you have to pay this sort of percentage of taxes to so, so and so and so. And, uh, and it's going to be 17.5%. I said, what do you mean? Oh. Yes, you, you, you will lose that money, even though it's savings. The fact that it's gone over a million, this law affects mm-hmm. So I said, wow, but I can't pay this money because, you know, I knew what I had to go through to be able to save up that much. And he said that, well, but you have options and your options is to invest the money out of the country. And so... It was the first time I ever invested, and I invested all my money, and I invested it in a tea farm. Oh, wait, 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 hold on for a second. You invested the, the full million? The full million. It was a farm, and the farm was, I think, 108 hectares of tea okay. that has just been planted. And the tea... Can I ask, I'm sorry, in what country was this? This was in Hawaii, okay? Now... The, oh, my God. The tea was being sold in Hong Kong. At that time, Hong Kong was a Commonwealth country, a Commonwealth country in in, in Asia. So it was like a trading sector. And so I did my research, and internet was barely here at that time. Okay. So it wasn't very easy for me. So I did my research and realized that, oh, this is great, that they buy it in Ghana for around when it's yielded and everything is grown, they cut it and then they ship it. But in Ghana to Hong Kong, they buy it for like 
I think six or seven dollars. But okay. just in Hawaii, it was twenty-three dollars. Ah. It was times like almost four. So you know, I wanted to see, and then I realized that oh, they had a it's like a, an island or something, you know. So they didn't have like this whole exportation opportunities. So it made those things much more higher over there. And I also realized that in their buildings, they incorporated the wood in all their buildings. So I just decided to go for that teak farm as a land. And I took a chance of rather losing the 1 million on a positive investment than losing the 17.5% on a taxes that I didn't know why I had to pay for. All right, pardon the interruption, guys. I just want to spend a moment to thank Switch and Board. It's a podcast studio in Washington, D.C., owned by a good friend of mine. And if you like the production quality of this podcast, if you like this track as much as I do, which I love it, it's all thanks to them. Now, Switch and Board specializes in podcasters like me and you who are busy. We travel a lot because not only have they mastered in-studio production, guess what? They've mastered remote podcasting production. That's right. So you could be anywhere in the world and Switch and Board has you covered. Now, if you want to learn more from Switch and Board, I want you to go to paulcbrunson.com backslash studio. That's S-T-U-D-I-O. And let me put you on. And now, back to the show. This is, inc- I mean, a teak farm. <laughs> I mean, this is a million pounds. That seems to be such high risk, but given your research, yes, it seemed to be it was a smart, yes. very well, smart, smart decision to take. So I got lawyers involved and everything, and that was my first biggest investment. I didn't know how investments will pay off. I just knew how to make money and save the money, and you know, think of how I'm going to grow bigger. But for the first time, I was empty, and. Um, I only had 20,000 pounds left, you know, um, and so I felt like I never made that money. And um, on the 28th of November, you know, I was just the voice, the voice that always talks to me says, you have to go back to Ghana after an incident, which I don't want to talk about on this interview because I'm sorry, but, you know, said that you have to go to Ghana because this is not a place for you if you're looking for this infinity crowd that you saw in your dream in front of you. It was 28 28 November, on the 3rd of December, I had moved to Ghana and I came to Ghana with three pair of jeans, two t-shirts, 20,000 pounds. And I left everything I had in London, car, apartment for my brother. I had the baby there, he was just growing, you know, and I came to Ghana to start. And you came to Ghana? Yeah. So what happened? What happened to the investment though? The teak investment that was just that was in Hawaii. So it was like an international investment. So I didn't have to live in London to follow it. This is okay. a farm, so it takes five to seven years for it to yield. Wow, incredible! That's what they explained to me. So for me, I'd forgotten about that money. And so I, you come to Ghana, twenty thousand pounds, pretty much. That's that's yeah. it. Yeah, and uh, but you come off of a vision. Yeah, of I, came, seeing. I came with a great vision. I didn't, unlike Martin Luther, he had a dream. Me, I had a vision. And something said, go to Ghana and move every one of the people who are in the West to come with you because you don't want to stay there alone. 
let them come with time they will follow they'll come so mm-hmm. when i went i came to ghana to stay but i always knew that i was like a pan africanist revolutionist you know i had all this nest in me this color <laughs> you know something nest 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 it was all in me and it hadn't sort of been triggered yet you know but i, I knew that there was something in me you know i i I grew up with the likes of, you know, Martin Luther. When I was growing up, even as a kid, my mentor was King Solomon. I had to read his story all the time in Samuel, yes. Samuel 1 and 2. You know, so I like his story. I like the words he told women. I like the concubine. I like the fact that he fed 2,000 people every night. You know, it's like, you know, these were the things in my head. But I had to start from scratch. From scratch. So yeah. what was the first business move that you made in Ghana? The business move I made was a nightclub. But that nightclub was a movement. So I actually went to rent a building that before I left to London, I used to go to a nightclub there. I was very lucky. And I was under eight. (laughs) But I paid all the bouncers, so they let me in. I was very fascinated with that building. When I got back, and I was like, okay, these guys are a bit weak. I quickly rented it. And I rented it for $1,600, but I spent about 15,000 pounds to renovate it. And so I planned myself that I am going to invite only the people coming here from outside to make the nightclub become big. So what happened was I went to the Ministry of Tourism and then I asked them to help me with the letter based on the fact that I'll be able to bring people from outside at the end of the year to visit the country. And they did. When they gave me that, I went to another man who was into transportation called um, Alaji Banda. He owned Mask Line at that time. Okay. And, sorry, Antrak. Antrak. That's the company. And then I told him that I have 400 people who are coming here. By chartered flight, if you use your plane, I would like to take 20% if I can give you those clients. And he said, no, 15. I said, 20. He said, no. He said, you're a very clever kid. I'll do 20. <laughs> he said, he shook my hand and I said, oh, I would like his secretary to put some agreement so, you know, I can sign. And then he did and put the agreement. When I got these two things, and I just have to open my mind for people. So if they ever listen to me, they can understand yes you know the the essence of doing business it's a lot of conspiracies you know yeah because i'm gonna make a guess here did you have these people yet did you have the people no. already no no, <laughs> no. See, I, I knew it i knew no. it but i knew <laughs> I, I knew oh my i could i knew that i could get them because i knew that people liked my story people like the way i move people like my heart you know like how many young guys be just saying forget all this i'm going to ghana <laughs> you know and right. i thought i was crazy when i said that so now i knew the minute that i tell them temptations and they hear about it they're gonna come but before i was going to use british airways to do my marketing i just needed the guy who's doing the chartered flight and then the Ministry of Tourism to support 
the movement of bringing people back to ground. So that became successful. The British Airways kept my flyers on their counter and in their planes. And even when people got on the plane, they found out about temptations. I opened the temptations on the 22nd of January, sorry, 22nd of November. That was after less than, slightly less than a year that I've been to Ghana, I've been in Ghana. So I opened it that day. By the 5th of December, everybody was in Ghana. From the 5th of December to the 5th of January, I took everyone's money from their pocket. And it was oh $5,000 by selling them drinks and letting them have fun. That's how, this is, this... that's how I bought my first property. I used that money to buy the property that I rented for the nightclub. And then I resold the property for $150,000. So I made $75,000 from the club and I was making another $75,000 from selling the property from the investment I had done with the 75000 mm. in the building. And then I was at a crossroad where I needed to decide which one of the two do you want to do? And that's right. when I realized that the money in the property sector was better because that was just a check. The money in the club sector was every night boxes of money. You have to change it to dollars. And so I said, no, this one is messy. I go with this. So that's how I got into real estate. That's incredible. That's one year after being yeah. in Ghana. One year. One year. One year. One year. This is, this is incredible. I rented another place. And um, I paid $100,000 deposit. The building, whole building was costing me $280,000 to buy. They didn't even want to rent it to me. And all the money I had available at that time was $100,000. But whilst I used the rest of the money to decorate the place again, someone came to buy it, including the land next door to it, for $600,000. So I made cool $300,000 in one deal. And, and then you put that right back into property. I put that straight, and it, that, that's when I started building. I bought a one acre of land, and I started building. See, and, and see, it, it seems like, and this is very important for everyone listening to, to know, is that you, you put everything on the line but time and time again. That's business. Business is knowing how to take the risk, the utmost risk, that 99 and half of the people will not take that path. And it's, it's not like you're gambling it. You're risking it on something positive. Yes. It's yes. not like you're gambling the money. You, you have to risk it on something positive. But now, you now stand, I mean, you have hundreds of properties, I'm imagining. And, and not to get into your pockets, but for what I understand, what, what, what I'm calculating, it looks like over a billion in assets. No, that... I mean, at this point, we still haven't gotten to a billion yet. You know, Petronia oh. is well off, you know, in its hundreds of millions in value. That's one of our company. Wonder World has a great portfolio of maybe over 200 homes that is owned by us, you know, ourselves. And that is also, you know, quite hundreds of millions in, in portfolios. So then you have other assets that are not yet developed and everything. So, yeah. We're close at the sevens to eights, but you know, personally, I'm not the one that has the kind of money sitting down to spend and say, "Hey, you know." I, I just, like I said, I just know how to build wealth, and I want to how to build it. 
across the billions. Oh, yeah. And, and, and you will, because you've done all of this within how many years? 16 years, is it? 17. 17? Yeah. 17 years. Yeah. You bet it all. Like, you risk it all. Yeah. I would imagine. One you... thing, you know, sometimes what, what I realize in life is that investment brings returns unexpectedly. Halfway of my investment in Ghana, I ended up selling the same tick farm at 5.5 million pounds after six and a half years of this investment. And the day that they were transferring the money as the owner, they just needed a confirmation to see truly if I was that same person from London that invested because they were transferring the money to Ghana. And you know, yeah, so when I proved to the person and you know, we became friends, but the guy told me on the phone, listen, something has never happened in history. It's happened today. And today, the pound is $2. Oh. So, so you can eat yes. this money <laughs> at $11 million and 5.5 million pounds. So the first thing that came to my head was, I won the 11 because the 11 was huge. <laughs> and you know what? Yeah. The next day, the whole thing dropped to 1.69. So, I oh. made, look, I made so much money Overnight, just by taking that decision. But you see, this is what the relationship management I told you about. This is what, you know, business ethics. This is the risk that you take, you know, listening to yes. your own instincts and letting your yes. faith decide for you and letting your confidence speak for you. You know, it's all part of building wealth. But, but now, Nana, you, you've taken so many big risks. What is the biggest loss? Because you must have taken some else. You must have. Oh, we, we always like, you know, I tell you one thing that people of my caliber or even like the likes of the Dankotes or Bill Gates that they never talk about is their losses. Their losses, they bury it. They forget it. Because they realize that it was their silliest move. And <laughs> No, no entrepreneur that it's self-made, unless he's a college-built entrepreneur, would talk about true. his biggest mistake. He only learned from it. Yes. He learned from it that, you know what, I, I spent three months on a woman and I almost lost my house. Oh, I it's okay. I'm not doing that mistake again. I'm not going to do it again. I'll stick to that. You know, but I've had my up and downs, you know, I've had times where, you know, I invested 1.5 million in the land and it was in the name of the person I was buying it from. Two months, the name had switched. There was a change of party in my country. The name had switched. They took me to court. The court gave them injunction. They locked the land. My investment was stacked close to 2. Point something million. You know, and it was like, at that time, it was one of my biggest. Yeah. So, you know, I had to go to court and follow some procedure and this and that. I've had days where I invested so much money in Petronia and I decided to go and do it myself because I wasn't getting any funding, any help, and I wanted to do it myself. But when I got there and started to go into the basic infrastructure, it swallowed 80% of my capital. And I almost got drained and something said, no, stop, pause, run back to Accra and quadruple this because they will follow it. You know? Yeah, I've had some crazy times you know, and some 
downfalls. You know, I've had times where, you know, when I started my business, you know, I sold two of my first properties and I invested them in uh, building materials and cars and other things. And then, you know, it kind of almost crashed. I had to move with my mom again because I wasn't going with... Oh, really? You had to move back? You had to move back with your mom? I moved into my mom's house because the way I started my business was very different. I will build a house. I'll build two houses. I'll finish one. And then I'll only make a room that I sleep in. So I had a water bed that I carried it with me. You know, I just, that's for my girls and for myself. So I, I, that's why I have fun. I don't have a living room, nothing. If you buy my house, I tell you to give me two weeks. And then I use the deposit to finish the other house quickly and then move the bed. I take the water out and move to the other house and then start another two behind. Incredible. Yeah, those are the stories that entrepreneurs, that we don't hear. We don't hear those stories. Because, you know, it's, it's a lot of, it's a lot of things to say, to explain to people. It is. But if I had to advise somebody, it's very easy for me to spend this 30 minutes to share this part of my story with them. But that is if they were going into properties. If somebody was just into investment, you know, I could also share a part of my story with them without telling them about my property side. You know? About the problem. Yeah. Very successful entrepreneurs are multitaskers. They are people who have been in different fields of businesses and have lost here and there, won here and there, and realized that, okay, I'm very good at this, I'm very good at that, I'm very good at this. It doesn't matter the field you put me, but I'm very good at this, you know? But you get, and you can manage that a, a, yeah, around you. Yeah, it doesn't matter if it's gold or real estate or whatever. You can manage it. The two other areas that I want to get into, it's very important because you, you've referred to the Prince of Africa, okay? Ah. But I want to ask you this question. You talked about your initial vision coming to Ghana was you are also going to inspire others from the West to come to Ghana. I want you to speak right now to Black Brits, to Caribbeans, to African-Americans. What should we be doing right now when it comes to Ghana, West Africa, and Africa? Well, first of all, I think, you know, Black people need to start to understand and accept our race as one society. We don't have a society. We have a race. We have a description that has identity crisis because we have left it so. You know, a Jamaican thinks he's Jamaican, so he's not African. An African thinks he's African, so he's not American. An American thinks he's American, so he's not either Jamaican or African. But when you put these three people in one plane and you send them to China and bring them out of the plane, they're going to only describe them as two, black or African. They don't know the differences by labeling them American, Jamaican. So we need to, first of all, accept our race, our culture under one society. And that's where the, the value would start to grow from. Value is very important. When you don't have values, in life, core values, you don't have a life. True, true, true. Values is everything, everything. And so if we don't value each other, first of all, as black people, then we don't have a race. We don't have a color and we don't have a society. So that's the first biggest thing. But I might have the guts, the nerves and the power 
to be so authoritative and speak like this right now because I have climbed the steps, the steps in life that I have realized that money can buy the value that we want to claim for ourselves. Yes. You know, it's rather the public, it's rather the people, the ones that are regarded as you. So even if I have billions of dollars and black men are not respected, black men are regarded as people that destroy their wealth, it still affects me regardless. Even though I might be one of the smartest and the quickest, the best, even if I am supposed to be among them, I still end up losing my dignity and integrity at certain points because I find myself standing alone even with all the achievements. And that's why I want the world to see that the likes of Muhammad Ali and Michael Jackson, who have gone past the pinnacle of being famous and prosperous, still went all the way back down to where they came from. And even at this point, we can't control their own residual income that they have made out of the reputation that they built when they were alive. They're being crushed by some organizations, and we cannot even stand up and fight for them. So we haven't actually fought for ourselves enough. We haven't actually built our own continents. We haven't built even the countries that we were enslaved onto. We have just settled. And mm. so when you look at the world, you will see that the Asians have built their continent. Americans have built their continent, United States of America. You go to Europe, Europeans, EU have built their continent. You go to Emirates, the Arabs have built their continent. You come to Africa, it's the only continent that is not built. And that's what the Prince of Africa is here for. This is what Freedom Jacob Caesar is about. So I just want people to know that I've gone past all these stories that I've shared with you from selling chickens to steel to properties to this to that to that. No, I've passed making the millions and dreaming of the billions and all of that. I don't know what it would do for us if I can't bring the value onto my people that they have been lacking for the past centuries. For me, that's my next level of achievement. You know, yes. how far God decided to bring me. So I've always had an alter ego and I didn't understand it. Probably maybe I didn't even know the right word for it in English, but I always knew that there was a two part of me and that two part of me had different characters. Those characters have been able to manage mankind for so long. I've been a humanitarian for so long. I've been a revolutionist for so long. I've been whatever for so long, but it's never been able to, it's never been prevailed until I started to see it and feel it. You know, so it was like a call and I had to build a new character. But before that, you know, I called myself Cheddar and everybody was screaming that name because it meant money, you know. And at that time, money was like my girlfriend, my wife, my everything, you know. It's, it's like, you know, my first movement. Uh, you know, I, <laughs> yes. yes. And, you know, after I realized that money can only come to me based on the wisdom that God has bestowed upon me. I need to activate it. It made my relationship with God even more stronger. And I was being diverted to now go over money and start to see the other things that were more powerful than money. 
And for me, as a black person and as an African, the only thing that is stronger than money, even though we feel like money is what we need the most, is our freedom. Because we still don't have it. Black people are still not free in their mind. They're not still free in their ways. They're entangled with jealousy, with envious, with selfishness, with uh, mistreatment, brutality, racial injustice. There's so many things. So, you know, it's taking away our freedom from us. It doesn't give us the power to think beyond our imaginations and our visions, which means somebody is controlling us. So I stood up as freedom. Freedom is the actual person that is claiming the prince of Africa, meaning that I am the voice. I am the voice of the entire continent. Now, Jacob means unity. Okay. Yes. Okay. The 12 tribes of Judah. Yes. Okay. Okay. So I picked Jacob because I decided to build industrial platforms that will create employment, that will create hubs, that is manufacturing hubs, that will stop Africans from traveling to the Western to import. Mm. And that would be the beginning of Africa's unity. Because I know they tried it through politics, they've tried it through so many things, but I know that the only way that is going to work is if we start to produce our own, if we start to create our own, if we start to build our own economy and create our own social wealth, economical prosperity, build employment, start to build our countries as cities and attract the world to become part of, um, uh, let's say, tourism, instead of government coming in to extract from us or colonial masters coming in to take our people as slaves. You know, because if we can go into production, into manufacturing, then of course we need the human capital. We're not going to sell them. We're not going to let them even go out of Africa because they will have jobs. They'll have everything. You know, Africa will be booming. The economy will be booming. And so that's where the Jacob is formed, as in I'm the one that's coming to put it together. So those of you listening, I am not a president. I am not this. I'm not that. I'm just a self-made emperor who has started from the Prince of Africa with freedom, the key in my hands. And the last Uh, thing. yeah. Caesar. Okay, this okay, now it makes sense. Okay. So Caesar is more of an emperor status. Like you are just saying that you're not above the law, but you have a say. You know, like, hey, you can't take me down based on what you wish. We have a say. You know, so Caesar is like, I've arrived. You know, yes. and the only reason why I chose all these three names as English names is because. I realized that education, which is supposed to be anti-establishment terrorism, the opposite of not establishing education in a certain way, has been fully established in Africa that with all the dialects that we speak, our main language has become either English or French. So for me, a lot of people might see it as, okay, why you have, why do you have a, a, a white man's name or that? No, it's just, these are the words that everyone can understand perfectly, that freedom, Jacob Caesar. But then if I have to break down the name to you as I've just done, then you will know that I'm a, I'm ordained, I'm anointed, and I'm appointed. I'm meant to be doing what I'm doing. You truly are. You know, I have to tell you something, and this is me being fully transparent with you. 
when you first came on my radar a few years ago, I wasn't too sure about you. I was like, I don't know about this guy. I don't, I don't know. I, I, I see him. He's that. real flashy. Yeah, I was like, I don't know about him. And 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 then what I did is I decided to put that ego behind me, and really listen to what you were saying, and watch what you were doing. And I watched how philanthropic you are, and how much you give to your people. I watched how you continued to build your empire. I watched how you continue to be bolder with your message. And I got to a point where I moved beyond like to saying, you know what? I love this guy. I love him because you, to me, you represent the brightness of our future, in particular as Black people. And in particular, what I love is that you get down with everyone. You could talk to people on the streets. You could talk to celebrities. You could talk to, you know, A-list. A- you, t- you talk to everyone. But when you do it, you do it boldly, authentically, and you do it unapologetically. And I just want to say, keep doing what you're doing. You've got a big supporter in me. And, and this was an incredible story. Thank incredible you. story. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. All right. They should look out for One Way In, One Way Out. It's my storybook. You get more details in there. What is released by the end of the year is like it's been held because of of this COVID situation. But I always wanted to speak up in 2020. It's just the beginning to make sure that I make the vision becomes clear. And it is clear, even though it's COVID times and it's hard times. You know, God has given me the strength, the knowledge, wisdom, and understanding to be able to still go out there and do what I have to do. The movement is on. The movie is right after the book is out. It's Emperor, The Art of Ruling. You know, um, you should look out for that. And then they should look out also for my new um, documentary that is just going to come out. It's called The African Dream and the New Africa, NKD and FJC. So I open up for the first time for the world to see the man in the tie and the man in the crown. Look out. There you go. I can't wait. What do we have dates? Do we have dates for when these are coming? Well, the documentary would be the first one, and it will go through fifteen African countries. I don't know if you are very good with broadcasting, and you want to be part of it to support us. You know, we're not selling it; it's free. We want every young kid to have it. You know, it talks about Petronia. It talks about Wonder World. It talks about Qualys Group. It talks about the Freedom Movement, the New Africa Foundation. Talks about you know, the whole squad, Capital Nine Zero, everything that has been going on, how investment and how broad everything has become. And, you know, a mix is going to make a lot of young people, especially in Africa, to realize that you don't have to be 60 to become a billionaire and you don't have to be 50. You can start making your millions now. And by the time you end up your four, before you hit 40, you have your billion. And just don't get the billion, but make sure you change your entire race, culture society and your country yeah so that's what what's up let me know how i can support here in the uk also in the u.s uh, that that's a documentary that we need I'm, I'm supporting that pa, pa, i will speak to mr deborah and make sure that you know um you are fully enlisted number one on my um on my media team international and then you know before we even take it out i want you to view it and uh, if you have any changes that you want to advise us to do, you know, I'm always down to earth. I listen, you know, you can always get back to me and then, uh, you know, I kind of 
sort of tailor it, you know, to suit the people over there. But, you know, um, I've, I've always been under the impression that it's going to start from 15 countries, speaking English-speaking countries in Africa. But since you are there and you're very powerful, I believe so, I can see it in your face, that, um, <laughs> that you can actually um, spread it around, broadcast it around over there. Yes, we, we would give you the rights. Done. Let me know. Let me know. Uh, that, 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 yeah, just, just let me know. That's all I have to say. Thank you for your time. Go ahead. You've got a, a billion dollar empire to run. You go. You Thank go. You. Thank you. God bless you. All right. I appreciate it. All right. Take care. Thank Bye. you. Bye. All right. Take care. Peace. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Now, once again, you know, I feel like I say this at the end of every session, but wasn't that incredible? I mean, wasn't that inspiring? Wasn't that motivational? Wasn't it instructional? You know, he broke down so much in terms of what we can be doing, what our mindset should be, how much risk we should be taking as entrepreneurs. Um, I just thank Freedom so much for his time. And I just want to thank you, you know, for, for your time. Make sure that you are on our newsletter at policybrunson.com backslash better. Also, make sure you check out our affirmations. You know, Freedom talked a lot about mindset. And I believe that to get your mindset right, it really involves affirmations. And I've included 10 bonus affirmations. These are all affirmations I've been saying to myself. Uh, yes, I do talk to myself, <laughs> but saying to myself for the last five years, check it out on your podcast platform. It's the first 10 bonus episodes. And that being said, we will see you all next week. And I say we, me, myself, and I, <laughs> I'll see you next week. Uh, I'm not going to tell you who's up next because it could be a rant or you never know. I could get a message from an assistant again on an interview I was trying to book and I may just throw them in. Uh, so next week will be like a box of chocolate. It'll be a surprise. Take care. Sweet and bored.